Hi, everyone. Happy to have you here. Today we are talking about company culture and also explain the term in more depth since it's getting thrown around more and more these days without really grasping substance. I'm joined by Carl Rosendale, former president of PDI, Pacific Data Images, a company that started working on visual effects, producing computer-generated graphics for broadcast networks, TV shows, commercials, and films such as Batman Forever, The Rival, Terminator 2, and Toys. They later expanded into feature animation with 1998's Ants, followed by Shrek in 2001, which went to win an Oscar for Best Animated Feature in 2002. DreamWorks acquired PDI in 2000, renaming it PDI DreamWorks. Culture is, I mean, it's what you see at the top level of the way a company behaves and acts and the environment you're in and stuff, but it's really driven by something I think is much deeper than that. Uh, which is the the values and the guiding principles of the company. Um, and the culture is really a manifestation of that. Carl and I met four years ago at the Film Academy in Germany, where he gave a talk about company culture. It was the first time I heard this phrase, and I was instantly hooked to this topic. It changed my perspective on work, how it should be handled, and also what really matters during your 8 to 10 hours a day. I'm your host Alexander Richter and you're listening to The 21 Artist Show, where we talk about how to grow in today's media industry, in animation and visual effects, including personal development. Enjoy the show. Thank you, Carl, for joining me today to pick your brain about this topic and all the questions I had since we last met. How about we start with a little bit of your history to get a deeper sense of your past? Sure. Um, I did a lot of filmmaking in high school and uh, ended up going up to Stanford University and getting a degree in electrical engineering. There was This was in the 1970s. There was no computer science undergraduate degree. Oh, yeah. um, but really wanted to combine my interest in getting involved in filmmaking with like this passion for computers and technology and such. Um, so in 1980, I started PDI up here in the Bay Area in California um, with the goal of doing computer graphics for the entertainment industry. Really didn't know a lot more than that about what we'd be doing because <laughs> it wasn't an industry yet, right? Um, I think Ed Catmull had just gone to Lucas about that time to start Lucas Digital there, which later became Pixar and a lot of other things. Um, there were a few other companies in Los Angeles and New York, and ILM, of course, was doing amazing motion control work, uh, but no one really doing any computer graphics work. Uh, so I started PDI, and within about a year, was joined by Glenn Entis and Richard Chung, who became my co-founding partners in the company. Um, and very quickly, we actually built an animation system that enabled us to do product, and we got on the air in... Uh, initially, Brazil, we did a, a um, wonderful arrangement with Rede Globo down in Brazil to license them the software we were, the software we were developing um, for them to use in Brazil for network packages. Uh, that introduced us to a fellow named Harry Marks in the United States who gave us our first domestic production job. Uh, and pretty soon we were doing computer graphics for uh, television. Uh, Broadcast graphics, station IDs, that sort of work. 
Uh, and it worked out great. And then around 1983 or four, we really set the long-term vision for the company. And we said, okay, what we want to do is do fully computer animated feature films, which in the mid 1980s was a pipe dream, right? It was absolutely impossible. Um, not only wasn't there the technology to do it, we couldn't imagine how you would do, you know, soft skin and hair and clothes. Um, but we knew that Moore's law would solve a lot of those problems for us, right? Technology would get faster and cheaper and somehow we and other people would figure out how to solve those problems. Um, so that started us with a really specific vision and long-term goal. It, it took us another 12 years to hit that mark. Um, but it meant we knew what we were doing, right? And what we were aiming for. And, uh, we went from broadcast graphics to doing commercials, to doing character animation, to doing feature film effects. Each one of those is a step towards getting us into another part of the industry and developing our internal skills and talents on the creative side and the technology we needed to do that. Uh, and finally, we're able to do a deal with DreamWorks to start producing animated films for them. So that's, wow, that's a really abbreviated version <laughs> of a lifetime of work. <laughs> So for, for me, like we basically met when you gave the talk about company culture, and this is also the main reason we're here. And we, uh, that's also the main reason I wanted to pick your brain because it influenced my working life a lot. Uh, even maybe you cannot imagine that, but I thought about this topic while I was hired in any company, like with every situation, basically, I kind of like what I like to be in which environment and stuff like that. So for me, the first thing I would, I would like to, to ask you for years already is basically how would you define like company culture and what are the, like the points you would, you'd see are involved in the term company culture at, at all? Sure. Um, first, I'm really glad that it became important to you because it should be right. It's, it's, that's where you're going to get your pleasure and reward from from the work that you do, regardless of what industry you're in. Um, because it's so much about not just the job you're doing, but the people you're doing it with um, or the people you're doing it for um, on the client side. Uh, so to get dig into it, so culture is, I mean, it's what you see at the top level of the way a company behaves and acts and the environment you're in and stuff. But it's really driven by something I think is much deeper than that, uh, which is the, the values and the guiding principles of the company. Um, and the culture is really a manifestation of that, right? So the values of the company, and it's become a, a real thing now for companies to define those values. Um, you define what those are for your company, and then that defines a lot about what your culture will be, right? So are we a really, uh, you know, open company or really secretive? Are we um, internally focused, externally focused? And that, that affects a lot of that. And then the culture, both the way you decorate the space and what your lobby looks like and whether you give food to people and vacation uh, plans and all that kind of stuff is really guided and based on those initial values and what you believe in the company. Um, and those values come from the leadership of the organization and, and specifically in the early days, the founders of the company. Uh, you may 
or may not be consciously aware of the values you're bringing to that company and the culture you're developing. Uh, in fact, we weren't when we started PDI, right? That, the, the discussion of company values and stuff was something that started years later in business. It was not a known thing. But that doesn't matter because you're still doing it, right? You're still deciding how important are the people in this company and what is the vision that we're trying to accomplish and how are we going to enable our employees to pursue that? How much are we going to manage them? How much are they going to be self-directed? How are we going to reward them for that? Um, all those things. So whether you define the values or not, they absolutely exist. And so the the founding leadership of the company is kind of that DNA, right? And and you're saying these are the values. And you may say it explicitly, but you, it may just be all implicit and not even conscious. The wonderful thing that now that we talk about company culture is it becomes a conscious thing, right? And you actually think about that. And you have discussions with with your co-founders and your leadership and your employees about what are the values of the company and, and what do we believe in and what do we not believe in? Uh, what will we fight for and what will we give up in that process? Um, and that sets the tone for everything else. I think that so sounds perfect. Like to say uh, you basically define a tone of how to act. I think this is kind of a little bit the, the essence, which was there always it's just become kind of a topic yeah so i i think the most famous examples at the moment are like google which became like i don't know 10 years ago or something like that they they brought this company culture about not being evil for example and stuff like that so for me it would be interesting uh, when was the first time it basically this term crossed your mind would be the first question and the second for question is like when was the first time you started to implement it in your own company consciously implement it uh pretty early on and some of it i mean actually talking about, about values probably happened uh mid to late 1980s in fact there was a great i have to pull up my i made some notes um a couple of books that were really important. Um, uh, one was Tom Peters wrote a book in 1982 called In Search of Excellence, where he went and, and researched all sorts of companies, you know, top Fortune 500 companies, and tried to figure out what made them really work well. Um, and I read that book, and it, it had a huge impact on me. Um, another earlier, oh, I, I think it was that book, yeah, that he talked about, uh, Hewitt Packard, the electronics company, um, and that there was a management style in there called MBWA, which stood for man management by walking around, right? And it means that the managers just didn't sit in their offices and wait for people to come to them. They got out of their seats and went and talked to everyone on the floor. Um, and that's something that when I read about that, recognized that, oh, well, that's, that's what we do. Because in the early, the early stages of a company, You're all sitting together and everyone does everything anyway, right? Until you get 10 or 12 people, everyone's wearing every hat. You're all programmers. You're all designers. You're all uh, business people. Everyone's doing everything. Um, when you get bigger, you start adding in some hierarchy and some organization because you have to have that to make things happen properly. Um, so I did realize that, oh, we are walking around a lot because – 
uh, I moved quickly into the business side instead of the programming or the creative side, which is what I thought I would be doing and what I wanted to do. Um, Richard was much better at the technical side. Glenn was much better at um, the production management side. Uh, and we brought in, you know, we started hiring programmers and other designers and such. Um, but I found for me that if I wanted to really enjoy working at PDI, I had to go walk around because <laughs> it wasn't fun sitting in my office doing business things. It was fun sitting down with, with creative people doing stuff and animators and programmers and talking about what they're doing and learning about what they're doing and brainstorming with them about ways to apply new ideas they have. And, oh, geez, what if we, can we, can we do a demo of this for our demo reel and show it to potential customers, maybe get them excited about it? Uh, and that was the stuff that was really fun. Um, the one other book that was really important uh, is called Built to Last, and it didn't come out until 1994. So this was way after we were... Um, you know, we had all our values in place and we had our company culture and stuff. Um, but they really did a lot of research and uh, verbalized, I guess, um, what it is about values and culture that, that really make it work in a company. And I think that's when uh, the, the dialogue in business probably really started to happen about culture and company values and purpose and vision and all that. Sounds fantastic. So the qu first question I also have in this case is like, what was the first steps that you implemented? Uh, like when you kind of started to think about it as a, as your profession a little bit, as your, as your focus point and what was your first experience also coming back? Like you, you implemented something and saw what happened. So what was that? Well, there, there's a lot of, a lot of things. I think when one thing that was a real interesting kind of realization for us is when we were really small, even if we were doing a two or three production jobs, uh, you knew what everyone was doing and you saw the work they were doing all the time. And then we got to a size of, I'm going to say somewhere between 10 and 15 people where um, you would be working on multiple production jobs or the company would, and something would get shipped and everyone didn't see it. And it's like, wait, we did, we did a show opening, we did an idea or something and, and everyone in the company didn't see it. And we thought that that was really a loss because we all learn from each other. Uh, and we also all want to be really proud of what the company is creating. Um, and then it was also just harder to communicate what was going on because it used to work very grassroots. You say something and it just spreads. So we implemented what we called the Friday film show. So um, one of us would be responsible for lunch for everyone And we'd all sit around and watch every piece of footage that was created that week. Um, not just stuff that was delivered, but every piece of test footage, uh, every experiment. Uh, if someone wrote a new piece of code, they would show it off. So Friday at lunch, company bought lunch, and we all sat around and looked at, at the work that everyone did. And it became known as the Friday Film Show. And that lasted forever. Um, it got very unwieldy when we were, you know, 150 people. <laughs> um But a lot of it kept happening. And uh, that was crucial for keeping everyone excited and up to date on what's going on. And it evolved over time to a lot of other things. That's where you introduced new employees. Um, 
we were really open with the employees from early on about the financial aspects of the company. So once a month, I would stand up in front of the whole company and talk about the financial results from the prior month. How much money did we make or lose? How much revenue did we have? Um, how much money do we have in the bank? What's it look like for the, you know, how much work we have booked for the next three months? So everyone always knew that. Uh, the only thing we didn't share was individuals' uh, compensation, right? But everything else, we opened up the books once a month. Um, people started making short films that they would show in the Friday film show that didn't have anything to do with production we were doing for clients. They were just fun expressions of creativity. Um, and some of those became regular series within the company. So that Friday film show was was essential to building up uh, a team, building up a group of people who knew each other, who uh, appreciate other work you're doing. Um, even if you're not in the same department, you got to show it off to everyone. Uh, that was super important. Um, that openness worked really well. When we got to uh, about 30 people in the company, I wish I could remember exactly how many, um, but we were definitely not doing everything right. Um, we had a profit sharing plan, which was great. Um, but we only paid it out once a year and it, it, it was a really generous profit sharing plan. Um, so your annual compensation was, was, you know, very competitive within the industry at the time. But a big part of that was made out of your bonus, which only came once a year. So it was hard for people to, uh, you know, budget and plan and such. Um, there are a bunch of other things about the way communications work within the company, uh, all sorts of problems that just we had not been paying attention to or weren't even aware of. Uh, and uh, one of our employees came in and talked to Glenn and Richard and I uh, on a Thursday or Friday afternoon and said, hey, we're having an employee offsite this weekend and you're not invited. <laughs> It's like, what? Um, yeah, we just think, you know, people are getting really frustrated and upset with a lot of things that are happening in the company. And we're going to go talk about it. And then we're going to come back to you with a list. Yeah. And, and I will tell you, it was terrifying. Um, because, I mean, they were complaining about you guys don't understand things that are going on. So, um, that that's really scary, right? It's like, well, what don't I understand? I, I thought I knew what was going on. Um, they went away over the weekend and the next week came back to us with a big list of issues. I won't call them complaints and it wasn't a manifesto, but it was a long list of things that they didn't uh, think were as good as they could be in the company. And um, I think we reacted really well to that. What we did is Glenn Richard and I sat down and we we basically went through every item on the list and we put them into three buckets, right? One list was, oh yeah, that's a really good idea or it's something that's really easy to change or I don't get it, but it's really easy to change and I guess it would make people happy. Um, so the things that you can just do, right? And then there were the things that you can't do. It's, um, no, that's, and I, I wish I had that list still because um, I would love to give you some tangible examples. Yeah. But there were a number of things on there that it's like, no, we just we can't do that. You know, maybe it's maybe it's we need 
uh, a bigger building. It's like, we can't afford a bigger building. Um, you know, those kinds of things that no, you can't do. And then there was a big pile in the middle of, we can probably do this, but we don't know, or maybe there's a compromise we have to do, but it's an issue we understand, um, and we'll work on it with you. And then we got up in front of the company at the next Friday film show and, and instead of said, I can't believe you guys had this offsite without us and you know, you're rising up against management or something. We said, thank you. You know, this is, this is great. Um, it's really painful. It, it hurts to be told by all your employees that you're screwing up in so many ways. <laughs> um, but here's, here's our first response to it, which is all these things done. We just changed, you know, as of now, we're changing our policies. So this is the way it works. Um, we're going to change the way we do that. We're going to rearrange things. So, um, yes, we can do all these things. And then here's all these things. No, we, we can't or won't do this. And we explained why, right? So it's like, we're not going to do this because we can't afford it. It's impractical or it's not the values that we have for the company. What, whatever the reason was, we gave them a reason. We didn't just say no. We said no. And here's why. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people didn't agree with our reasoning, but there was a reason. Right? So it wasn't just the word came down. It, um, and then there was all the stuff in the middle. And it's like, here's our thoughts about these things. And we will, over the next period of time, address these. And we did. Um, and it, it was a really successful thing for the company. Um, on the top level of, we made it a better company, right? Because everyone, there were real problems there. And once they said some of these things, it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's just stupid. Oh, for example, I mentioned the compensation, right? So they said this, you know, we appreciate getting paid and getting a bonus, but it's impossible to do any kind of financial planning or commitments or anything like that. So we changed our compensation plan and we paid out, um, I think we did bonuses quarterly, but we also changed the ratio of bonus to base salary and said, okay, we'll pay you a higher base salary and a lower bonus. Um, uh, so, I mean, they changed our whole compensation structure, not specifically how much everyone got paid, although I'm sure there was a lot of that in there, um, and making sure it was equitable and such. Uh, but they, they absolutely affected what their cash flow was. Right. Um, so it was, it was really good from the standpoint that we made a lot of important positive changes to the company, but it also sent a really important message that we weren't consciously trying to send, right? We weren't that smart. Um, but the message was, if you have an issue in this company, we will listen to you and we will give you a rational response. <laughs> um, we will think about it. We'll say yes if it's a if it's something we can do. We will say no and explain why not if we can't. Um, and everything else in the middle, we'll figure out what we can and can't do. Um, and that was, I think, the most important thing that came out of it. Right? Was confirming these values in the company that the employees are that important to us. Right? That we will listen to them and we want this to be a better place for everyone. Um, we may not agree with everything. We may not do everything they ask, but they can bring it up. They can talk about it. You're not going to get punished. 
um, you're going to get thanked. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm stunned. <laughs> While you were talking, my eyes lit up and I was like, hire me. Because this is, sign, I mean, I heard a, good, a lot of good things about PDI. I have some colleagues and friends who work there and they tell me a lot of good things. And I mean, basically the reason we know each other is because you focused on company culture and was so uh, impressed by that. You have, you gave me so much thing to address. I don't even know where to start. But first thing, um, I don't know how, how unique it was or not, but... Uh, I did a, had an experience like five years ago when I was working at Studio Zoe in Germany that we did basically the same thing as you did uh, on Fridays. We came together. It was kind of barbecue in front of the building. And we watched, uh, for example, in our case, the amazing world of Gumball because that's what we were producing. So we produced like an episode or two uh, a week and then we come to watch it like every week. One of this, this amazing show, if I don't know if you ever saw it, but um And it was like amazing. And I'm not sure how much influences like, like PDI and all the like Pixar, all the companies had on this kind of cultural behavior, you can say. I think the first, first question I have just to make it, to make it very clear for everyone um, who wants to understand this point is you, you talked about, I remember also like five, four years ago, but again, um, about sharing financial situations, which a lot of, a lot of companies and a lot of uh, people were like, oh, what? Uh, so I just want to, to, to understand, um, like, what is the reasoning behind that? What was your purpose and why, why did you do, do this kind of thing? Yeah, I think part of it was just having a value of being really open <clears throat> and that if, The more information people have, the more they understand the decisions you're making in the company. Um, so if uh, there was maybe a request for, you know, more, bigger, faster computers, well, there was always that request, right? Um, if people could understand financially what that means, right? Okay, well, when we buy a piece of equipment, we amortize it over three years, so it costs us this much a month. Um, and then we have, you know, so that's what our expense side of it is. We have this much cash in the bank. Um, we really want to keep ideally three months of operating expenses of cash in the bank because we go through cold spells, right? Where there's not a lot of work coming in. Um, so, you know, yeah, we'd love to buy that equipment. Do we have the cash for it? What's it really going to cost us on our bottom line? Um, and if people understand that, then they understand whether you say yes or no and how that happens. They understand, um, you know, what percentage of our expenses are actually employee-related expenses, right? How much do we spend on salaries in the company versus equipment versus outside services and things? All those things help people understand that. Uh, and so when it's time to make a decision, everyone gets it. I will say um, no one ever violated that trust. Because we said, look, this is confidential internal information. This is not information we want the outside world to have. We really want you to have it. So don't share it with anyone. No one ever did. In 20 years, no one ever uh, put that information out there. Uh, because they recognized it was not a, a privilege, but it was unusual, right? And it was something that um, they they appreciate it and want it and didn't didn't want to lose because if, if it starts leaking out, then you're going to shut it down. Right. Um, 
But the place where I think it had really significant impacts is we, we had a few times where we had to do big layoffs in the company. You know, things are, uh, not as profitable as we thought, or there's a slowdown in a certain part of our business. Um, we had a LA studio and, uh, doing visual effects for features for a while that we had to shut down. And you get to a point, you know, every company does it where you have to do a big reorganization, a big layoff. <clears throat> and generally it's for financial reasons. Um, no one likes to do it. The employees certainly hate it, right? Especially if you're on the receiving end of that. Uh, and management doesn't like to do it either. It's not fun to let people go. But the times that we had to do that, it was not a surprise to anyone. People didn't show up at work and say, what? We're laying off people? Why? That, that doesn't make any sense. Those greedy bastards. <laughs> um, <clears throat> everyone saw it coming and they probably saw it coming for the prior three months. Right. Because it's like, here's what our bookings are. You know, we're not we're not getting enough work in or we're not being profitable enough. Or we had these unusual expenses that, um, you know, threw us off. And basically, uh, when it came time that we had to reorganize and lay off people and such, everyone said, yeah, I I understand why that is. I don't like it. And I don't like the fact that, um, you know, a person who I think is incredibly talented isn't working here anymore, or I don't like the fact that I lost a job, but at least I saw that, that it could potentially happen. And I understand why that decision was made. Um, and, and it doesn't make it easier, but it does. I think people understanding that just, you know, releases a burden off of it. I love that you combined exactly the understanding with the decision situation. So basically you basically said like you gave them enough information. So when it's time for something, when it's, when a big decision is coming, when you in negative ways, when you have to fire people on, or we, where you have to drift off in a, maybe a different direction, they will, as you said, understand this decision and support it because they were part of this process and i think this is exactly where i was uh, trying to 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 get out of this like for example this financial situation where you're sharing information to first step make people um, understand stuff and then when you go in a direction help you with that i think this is, sounds like what what you were kind of um wanted to, to do with that and I, what i what i like also about about this um the topic you were you were kind of hinting in is Company culture is also sounds very much like a relationship, like in, in any terms of sense, especially, especially there's like ego involved. There's all this, all these terms, which basically, for example, I mean, everyone had, had the situation, your partner comes and brings kind of a list, <laughs> even if, if it's prepared or if it's uh, improvised, it doesn't matter. You will get to this, to every, every, um, partnership get this point where someone is like this, 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 right. I don't like it. Right. And, and then the typical reaction is like, go away. Like, no, this is not true. Or you fight back. Or how dare you? Or, or yeah, how dare you? <laughs> and you do this wrong. So basically you kind of spiral into nothingness and then everyone, whatever, it kind of escalates. And I like this thing where you basically mention it as 
as not like being detached like oh this is a, a company problem because it's it will be definitely it doesn't matter in the moment you are in a leadership position um it is also an ego problem it's this oh, uh, it, will, it will create an ego problem for you so for me it's like also a little bit the question is like like you said you you step back and but I m imagine a lot of people uh, who are listening to that is like, wow, okay, I I'm not sure if I want to get in the ego situation in my company as a lead, as a CEO, maybe even as as an artist. So like, how do you how how do you handle that? Like, how what what was your mantra or what was your thinking about? Okay, I get so much pain at this moment. So why did you decide to embrace that and push forward instead of like back or defend yourself or something? Yeah, I, first it's really important. It's, it's not easy and a lot of it is really painful. We, we had fights for sure. It, it's, it wasn't all bliss land all the time. There were, there were arguments and there were fights and there was, you know, some screaming behind closed doors. Um, but we worked through it because we all had a mission and a goal that we were, we were aiming at. Um, it, it rarely, if ever became personal. Like they, we, there was just a really good culture of not doing personal attacks on people. Um, you know, that, that came up a few times with employees who came into the company and they frankly didn't last very long. Um, so there were a lot of fights and arguments, but it was generally about, you know, principles and directions and what we we're trying to do and not doing, um, and not aimed at, at you as a person, you know, you suck and that's why everything's bad. Um, but it, it was hard. I mean, there were, there were tears. There were days where I went home completely pissed off, frustrated, you know, don't want to go in the next day. Um, and other days where it's like, I can't wait to get in everything. Everything is awesome. <laughs> um, so it, it's hard and it, we're all humans, right? And we all have those, those issues of being human, um, that, that make it so complex and interesting. So it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make it easy, but keeping it from being personal attacks yeah i have to say like the the, um, the weekend thing which you uh, said with the list it also reminded me a little bit um, of what i read in creativity inc what ed catmo uh, basically wrote about this i think it was a whole week for for pixar where they had this feedback round they built groups and stuff like that and and it sounds like it, it reminded me as also like because also like creativity inc is one of the rare books who tackles exactly this topic which we basically talk about in visual effects and animation uh, company culture and how to stay creative but still be like interesting sustainable and stuff like that so it's it's this balance which uh, which yeah you're, you're searching for which were the changes which kind of made pdi what what do you, you talked about vision was it the vision was it the vision that that basically like brought you to where you are with which you put as one of the most important things um you implemented or pdi implemented and the opposite which was the the tryouts which basically nearly broke it 
I think this, because it's always about rights. It's like in a relationship, as we talked, like you always, you you will normally fail. If you try something, you will also fail. So I, I think I would like to hear about the two extremes just to see well, what's important, you know? Sure. Um, so the, the vision we set, um, to go back to Built to Last, the, the book that came out in the, the, uh, when did that come out? Uh, oh, in 94. Um, they, they created a term called BHAG, uh, Big Hairy Audacious Goal. Um, and that's something, you know, you're aiming to accomplish in the future that seems almost impossible now. And that was our mission statement for the company um, that we set in, in the mid 80s. You know, in the future, we're going to do fully computer animated feature films. And that became the driving issue of everyone. Um, and uh, we couldn't do it immediately. We started out doing broadcast graphics, which are, you know, flying around shiny logos, right? And then making them glow because you can do neon now and such. And then getting into doing commercials because they're longer form and stuff. And we would talk a lot about how important character animation was. And we hired uh, character animators, Tim Johnson, Rex Grignon, Raman Huey, um, as our character animators in the company and such. But then we would put them on a car commercial or a, you know, personal hygiene product commercial, things that were not character animation. Um, and they got really frustrated with that. And Rex and Tim sat down with Glenn and basically wrote a character animation manifesto, right? And um, this is where having this vision is so important, right? Because we were caught up in trying to build a profitable, sustainable company. Um, and yes, we had this goal, we're going to do feature films, and we're making incremental progress towards that. But they really recognized that we talk a lot about how important character animation is, and we hired people to do character animation, and then we have them do jobs that are not character animation. And that holds you back, right? You're not building up your reel. You're not building your, your internal skills and creative talents. You're not building up your tool set to do it. Um, so they wrote this manifesto that basically said, we need to have a character animation group. We need to make it an official thing. And, and there's some base rules for that group, one of which is, people in that group will only do character animation. And if you don't have any character animation paid productions for us to do, then we will do our own projects and we will do our own, you know, short films or demos and we will build our skill sets and stuff. Um, and even if, we're, you know, you will, you may perceive us as being idle employees, but we will be working on character animation then a number of other things of how much technical support they would need and how they would build the group and who would manage them and, and such. Uh, and they came to us and said, you know, if you're serious about character animation, you actually have to put your money where your mouth is, right? You have to commit to a character animation group that only does character animation. Uh -huh. And, and they were right. They were absolutely right. But it was terrifying because they were also generating revenue for the company. And, you know, being in the effects and animation business, it is not a high margin business. <laughs> and when when one of the goals of your company is to have one to three months of operating capital in the bank because things always go south, um, suddenly 
three of your employees saying, we're not going to do production jobs unless they're character animation jobs. And by the way, we have no character animation jobs in the pipeline right now. Um, you're basically taking three people out of production for at least the next three months. Um, mm. And that's terrifying. Uh, but they were right. Right. If if this is the vision you guys say we're pursuing, then you have to have a dedicated character group to pursue it. Um, and we agreed and, and we set that in motion and it paid off in spades really fast. Because what happens when you make that commitment is everyone says, oh, shit, <laughs> we have to make that happen. Right. So so. All of the people on the, the sales and marketing side suddenly get excited about getting character stuff in, right? So they go pursuing those kinds of projects more. You build up a reel of, of work that you can take and show to people and say, look at this cool stuff we can do. Your R&D people start creating better tools so that they can be more efficient at doing that. And it just spirals on itself and, you know, becomes a real thing. So that's a place where, uh, we had this vision and, and the employees got it and we as upper management didn't. <laughs> and then they slapped us in the face and reminded us that it's like, Hey, if you're serious about this, you need to commit to, to a really fundamental piece of talent and technology. It means, means also like your company culture allowed these people to be as frank as they were, because I mean, absolutely not, not every company give the employer the employee uh, the feeling like you could, oh yeah by the way um that's your goal we how we ha we have you accountable for it you know we, we 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 bring it up to you and we will if you you can change your goal you can change your vision but as long as it's this vision you should as you said like uh, money where your mouth is else it doesn't make any sense and you're not reliable as you think you are yeah kind of. Yeah. So that's so. What was the opposite side? Because this is a, a perfect example for for vision and how vision can pay off. Um, is is there something where you say like, oh yeah, this was what we thought was a good company culture move or or a good move for the company in terms of how we communicate or how we um, lead even, and was like where you pedaled back after a while because you said like, oh this looks potentially dangerous. I'm sure there's a lot of them. <laughs> uh, nothing's jumping right to mind. You know, we had, a, I will talk about, um, we had a big failure in pursuing that, that vision, right? So, so we kind of evolved in stages from broadcast graphics to doing commercials to doing animation for TV programs. We were the first ones to do a 3D uh, Simpsons Uh, piece, part of one of the episodes, um, and then individual effects. And we ended up opening a satellite office in Los Angeles to do visual effects, um, which was absolutely the right thing to do. We didn't, we weren't really successful at it, right? It was the, the least profitable part of our business. Um, we worked on, I think it ended up being 70 different feature films doing effects for them. Uh, sometimes, uh, there were character effects, but most of the time it was, uh, kind of more traditional visual effects, naturalistic effects, um, what we termed invisible effects, you know, wire removal and that sort of stuff. Um, 
And it, it was successful, but it wasn't really profitable. And then we had uh, one job that we did there that we just lost a lot of money on. Um, and the job that was queued up after that uh, ended up getting uh, canceled. Uh, the whole film got canceled, not just us working on it. Um, so we suddenly had a, a full office in L.A. doing visual effects that had lost a lot of money and was going to be losing a lot of money in the next three or four months. So we had to we had to shut that down. And that was very, at the time, incredibly painful, incredibly difficult, a really hard decision to make because... I think we fundamentally believed that having a presence in in Hollywood doing visual effects for feature films was an essential element of being able to do fully animated feature films. Um, and uh, yet, if we risked keeping that group going there was a very, very high probability it would pull the whole company under because we would just run out of cash. Um, so we decided to shut that whole thing down, reconsolidate back to Northern California um, and do a lot less feature film work. Really painful, really uh, felt at the time contrary to the vision and direction that we were trying to go with the company. Um, and really just a survival move that uh, was terrible. Ended up being the right thing to do, obviously. Um, we survived. So um, I look at the LA office, <clears throat> which had an incredible group of people. There were, I think, 30 or 40 people there who went on to do wonderful things. Um, I look at that for the company as a really successful failure, <laughs> right? We we failed in achieving the goal we we set out to accomplish, which was we're going to be a, a real player in the visual effects world, right? We're going to be one of those top companies that's doing incredible stuff. We failed at that. Um, but the bigger goal for doing that was it will build us the reputation and relationships in Hollywood that enable us to do our own feature films. Guess what? That worked. It was successful at that. We built those relationships um, we continued to keep those relationships after we shut down that studio. Uh, and within a year of that is when we did our deal with DreamWorks. Um, so it, it, um, it seemed really wrong and bad at the time. It was purely a survival tactic. Um, but, uh, but it worked. And the idea of having that studio was, was an essential part of what made PDI able to be successful doing what we want it to do. There's the term of failing faster. <laughs> I think this is kind of the, the thing. And if you can even, I mean, you, you often spend time in something or, tr or try things out and they will fail. A lot of things fail generally, but as long as you, for example, can get the experience out, the, out of it, something out of it, um, you, probably can distribute it to somewhere else. And I think this is like, it's combined with the vision, which you basically mentioned, because you just try to follow the vision, but you maybe didn't interpret it correctly. 
So if you think like, for example, you have to have a specific camera to make good movies or you have to have a specific software because only this software will allow you or you have to work in ILM or Pixar to make a good uh, animation feature or something like that. This will always uh, like still your vision, but maybe the interpretation is wrong. Maybe you can do it by yourself with the with Blender and a laptop or something like that. You know, so I think this is uh, it's still kind of the. The, the the thought process we go through and as long as we we spin it a little bit and try to see what we what helped us and keep the next step i think you are the best proof and your company also you, you provide for 20 years and survived even this kind of uh, bump roads it's also like a lot of these questions are really like personal question i mean I, I, i'm here and i'm doing this podcast and the youtube channel uh, for for I think two years now, um, because I like to share information. I always felt things are very closed up um, behind doors. And you basically have to have some years of experience to to even get an opinion on stuff, like to have an opinion on, is that how I like to work? Like, you know, because everyone has a like a um, vision of how they think animation films are made. And then they have like five years of try and error, maybe different companies till they see how it's really like and if they want to work like that or is that something else. So for me, it's like opening doors and um, having people like you here and helping us to understand from your experience and even go even one step deeper where we ask the question and get some answers for someone who's like, a company culture sounds cool, but like also like a lot of work and investment and money and time which i don't have (laughs) and that's why i want to go to one thing i noticed because we if we talk about this side we i think we should also talk about the other side so basically one thing i call at the moment and i saw personally is fake company culture (laughs) absolutely which is basically from at least from my interpretation uh, is a thing where where companies basically use book knowledge or or things they picked up but on the most superficial level it's the the when when you get hired they they promise you pizza for example it's kind of like or they have this kind of list like oh guys we have this and this and this and and it doesn't feel like it's part of the culture it's more like part of uh, you heard someone, heard someone, heard someone, heard someone saying something. And after f- the fifth time, you just uh, a fragment of whatever this message was about. So like, what's, what's your opinion on that? And, uh, and like, how would you say can companies like that spin it maybe even? Yeah, no, I think that's a really good observation. There are, there are absolutely companies where you walk in the door and it looks amazing, right? It's like, wow, they got, you know, foosball tables and free food. And this place looks really fun. And, and, you know, it's well lit and people decorate their spaces and stuff. And then you talk to people who work there and it's like, wow, this is a really toxic environment. People, you know, bite at each other behind their backs and they're mean. And, um, you know, the wrong people get promoted and, and everything's wrong. And it's, yeah, there, there's kind of this fake, positive culture paint on top of something that's really horrible. Um, and, and people learn that pretty fast. Uh, so yeah, those things definitely exist. And that's just people trying to, 
you know, pretend. The, the other thing you'll see is companies will list, here are our values. You know, here's the 10 values our company has or the five values or something. If there's more than three or four, first of all, that's too many, right? We can't remember that many. <clears throat> um, uh, I was watching a video, I'll name names, about Zappos, the, the shoe company, right? And, and they're famous for their company culture. Um, but there's a video where they talk about their company culture and they have, it's like 10 or 12 things. And at one point, one of the employees says, well, I can't remember all of them, but my favorite is, it's like, <laughs> that's too many, right? I think just, just a few things and everything else can come from that. But if you try and be everything all the time, you're going to fail at it all. Um, and the other thing you see is that a lot of those view, those values, Maybe they're aspirational, but they're not real, right? Um, and there's, there's your visible culture of what happens. And then there's, there's your invisible culture of the reality, right? Um, you know, how are issues addressed, right? What happens when someone misbehaves? Uh, who gets promoted? Who, who makes all the money in the company? Um, that's, that's the real culture, right? It's not, you know, how nice the chairs are. Um, and that, that again, it comes from the top. Um, there's a great process. I teach a class in entrepreneurship at CMU um, for our students. And one of the things when we're talking about um, culture and values is this great chart I learned about. It's never a tool we used um, called the competing values framework, right? And and in the example, if you just Google competing values framework, you'll find it. Um, they have two axes and, and the vertical one is flexibility versus flexibility and discretion versus stability and control, right? So you have these two values. One says, Oh, we're going to be really flexible and our employees can, you know, have control and discretion and can do everything. Or you can have, it's really stable. It's really controlled. And neither one of those is a correct culture. Um, they're appropriate cultures in given situations. Um, so stability and control, you actually want that at NASA, for example, right? You're putting astronauts in space. You don't want someone deciding that, hey, I wonder what would happen if I changed the software today and, you know, <laughs> things didn't operate quite the same. Um, you know, in, in, uh, the military, you need that stability and control, right? Because if you screw up, people die. Um, flexibility and discretion is really, really wonderful. It means your employees have a lot of freedom and latitude and they can make changes. So they have that one axis. And then the horizontal one is internal versus external focus, right? So are you, um, an example would be, do we care more about the employees or the clients? <laughs> you know, and, um, and so we, we talk about those in the class, but there's, I think the thing that's most interesting to me about that is these competing values. And so when, when a company says, oh, we value quality, that's a false value. That's not a real value because the competing value of quality is a crappy product, right? And no one would ever choose that as a value for their company. So, um, you know, you may be making a decision about we want to make really, you know, high quality, durable products versus, um, you know, low cost products, but that's, that's different and it's not a value of the company per se. Um, so the only values that actually count are ones that actually have two sides and both of those sides 
makes sense in different situations. And so you're deciding this is who we are going to be. Um, other, other examples are, you know, is it about self or community? Um, right. Is it about the individual or, or the company as a whole? And you'll see a lot of, a lot of particularly large Silicon Valley companies. It's about the company, right? And you are evaluated on your contribution to the company, not your personal self growth. Um, uh, freedom versus security. Uh, uh, oh, innovation versus efficiency, right? And that's what we've seen in the visual effects and animation industry. So what I loved about that industry in the 1980s, the 1990s, it was a hundred percent about innovation, right? And, um, cause nothing was efficient. It was all really difficult and took a long time. Um, but nothing, you know, there were, there were so many problems that needed to be solved and so much technology and things that needed to be invented and stuff that it was all about innovation. And then we got to 2000, um, or maybe 2005 or six. And basically you can do everything, right? You can, you can render photorealistic images and photorealistic characters that will fool the typical moviegoer. Um, you can do it all. Uh, and at that point, the industry switches and it's about efficiency, right? It's like, well, we can, we can do everything. There's a little bit of innovation, but the innovation is really about, can you make it faster and cheaper, right? Can we do it with, with fewer people? Can we do it in less time? You know, can we just throw computers at it and stuff? And, um, that, that's a legitimate thing that a business decides, right? It's, not what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in making it more efficient, which is one of the, one of the, my motivations for leaving PDI when I did. It's like, cause we accomplished what we set out to accomplish. We're making fully computer animated feature films with DreamWorks and they're amazing. And, uh, after I left, Shrek went on to win an Oscar. It's like, we're doing this right. Um, for me personally, at that point, it was much more about taking this machine that was amazing at making animated films and trying to make it more efficient at doing that. And what I always enjoyed for my job personally was, okay, we do this really well. Now, what do we do next? What's the, what's the next challenge to get us to where we're going? Um, we have those kind of value trade-offs uh, in life ourselves also um, to get back to the, these competing values, right? Faith versus certainty, right? And do you want to just you know, trust it's going to be on faith or are you going to really test that idea out and make sure it's going to work, right? And not even religious faith, right? All those things. And and they're all really interesting ways to look at your company and evaluate it. Um, so not just the two that the competing value frameworks has. Um, but I like to go look at values that companies say they have. And first of all, just say, well, what's the opposite of that value, right? And is the, is the opposite of that something anyone would ever choose. And if it is, good, you have a real value there. You have something that's going to affect the way people behave and their decisions. Um, and then you have to honor that <laughs> and behave that way. Absolutely. Um, I just I just thought about one point because um, I just explained the when I was at Studio Zoe that we had this Friday uh, drinks and watching movies. And there was one particular thing I loved about this company and it was creativity over business or creativity over, 
I don't know, production or if you say. So it was kind of this battle between director and producer. And it, it was interesting because no one ever stated anything. It was not that someone said like, or, or someone pumped off or someone did something. It was more like, uh, like the production would prolong if it needed to be. If the, the director says, no, it's not what I want. We, we make it different. We make a change. And since it was also partially their own project, it could do that. Of course, like production side was always a little bit oh, shaky about <laughs> what's happening. Like we need to produce. It's like, but, but what, what I liked about that is kind of like a lot of that, which we basically talked before, it was kind of you felt it. Um, you kind of, it kind of transpired, transpired through that. But in this moment, I basically had this question is like, how important is, because this company went up to 60 people or something when I was there. So it was like much bigger than the 15 people you, you described, for example, when you started and, um, how important is to nail it down, write it down, repeat and communicate your company culture, your vision and stuff like that? Or would you say it's more like the doing part? Like, you know, how, how important is to documentate that, to emphasize that maybe what they in monthly, like, Hey guys, we're doing that because, um, Hey guys, this is our visions. I mean, the famous, uh, Google, which basically everyone know, don't be evil. Um, which has also this kind of top part, like, what do you want? Be, be good to your user or make business and be good to your people the, that, uh, pay for you kind of like the investors or something like that. So how, how important do you think is in general to, um, to focus on, on putting it clearly compared to just act it out? If it were really just a, a B black and white choice, it's all about the actions and not about the words. Um, Because it's, it's the word, if, if you set down a bunch of words and then you behave differently, the only thing that counts is the way you behaved and people will hold the words against you. It's like, oh, you said that we're a really, um, internally focused company and the employees matter, but then, um, you let, uh, our clients get away with all this shit, um, that hurts the employees, right? So, so you lied to us, right? And we know what the real, what your real values are. You know, the real values are is that client, not the employee. So if you really have to make that decision, it's how you behave. Uh, and at PDI, you know, we didn't define our values. I don't know if we ever actually wrote them down and distributed to people, but it, it was uh, the, the vision, you know, of what our goal was. Um, also wasn't written down, but everyone could tell you exactly our goal is to make fully animated feature films. There, there was never a doubt about that. Um, the values, we never wrote them and distributed, but, um, we would talk about what's important to us a lot. Once you, when you have a really big company, you know, you have hundreds or thousands of people writing those down is an important way to communicate that because everyone can't see your individual behavior or their They're getting it secondhand or thirdhand or the way that, you know, someone spun it, right? So really articulating that and writing it down and getting it out to the company um, becomes important as you get very large. 
Yeah, of course, it's not black and white. It was also like, but you are basically answered also how PDI did it because you basically didn't write it down and it still worked. So I see exactly the opposite and probably also of the fake company culture is like to focus too much on on the intellectual part, on the writing it down, copy paste something or oh, like we need to have a company culture. What does Google do? Yeah, we like this part here, guys, this is the this is the company culture here, just that you know. So I think, yeah, I think this, you basically answered the question uh, again, it's not black and white. And of course the behavior is always, always more important, but it's also like about the point kind of when to write it down, how to communicate it. It's like, you know, that's, it's not just about, about having it somewhere on the internet or having it somewhere on a PDF that you can send every day. Uh, it's also like, um, Maybe uh, you can say that like 70% of like how to prepare and then like the last 30% is like giving the people the chance to understand it and uh, like it fully, like what does it mean, uh, this and this, uh, like what does it mean to have to be a feature animation film studio, which, or which is striving to go there? What does it mean? Because it can mean for anyone something else. So I think that's, that's exactly what I, <laughs> basically what I wanted to hear. I, I think. We, we can wrap it up with the last question. And it's basically um, like focusing on company culture is like providing like an ergonomic chair, basically. You don't see the results instantly. You see the results through years, through all the like the, the work and the sitting and stuff like that. So I think what's important today and because I, I less and less see it like shining through my eyes when I come to companies. I'm like, wow, I'm more like carefully touching and seeing that. So my biggest question would be um, also to to thrive the industry more. It's like, what would be like great actionable steps that you would advise the companies for today? Like, I mean, you're you're maybe not now, you said you're in university at the moment, but um, but I'm sure you, you have a lot of context at the moment. So uh, what, what you would say, like, like if you if you say like, okay, this this would be, I would advise every company to to, to think about that or implement that. It's which are easy to do, um, easy to understand, uh, and will make a great effect uh, how people behave, how people preserve, and also how people keep the company alive. In a way, is there something you can like compress yeah, I- in a way? I think it's about defining those values more than the culture because the culture will come from those values, right? I think I think I said at the beginning, it's the ma- the culture is the manifestation of of your values and principles. Um, so, and there aren't there aren't correct values to have. There's certainly incorrect values to have, but there's not like <laughs> oh, your company will be successful if you adopt these these three to five values for your company. Um, some companies want to be really internally focused, some externally focused. Um, PDI was very internally focused. Um, Apple and Amazon really externally focused. And I would argue Google's very internally focused, right? Um, and, uh, but I think it's, it is important to think about those and define what they are. And, and, Communicate that to the whole company, but the upper management team absolutely has to talk about what they believe the positive or the essential values of their company are, and ones that are real values, not not fake values. 
Um, and I think Glenn and Richard and I did have those conversations a lot before we knew explicitly what we were doing. We had those conversations, like how important are our employees to us? Um, you know, how important is innovation to us? Uh, you know, being open, uh, with our financials and everything else. It, you know, why is that important to us? We had those kinds of conversations. So the one thing I would say is just figure those out. And then, then you can worry about communicating them. The culture is going to happen regardless. What you want to do is understand why that culture is happening because that's you <laughs> as, as a leader in the company making that happen. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you very much for taking so much time from, from your schedule. And for me, it's even, even <laughs> like the chance to get all the questions I collected through the years. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I cannot explain you why it, it, uh, put a mark on me. Maybe because uh, also I kind of struggled in communicating with other people in a way of the project. You kind of um, drift away and and get ex a little bit robotic, and people come to you and say you're a failure in a in a maybe a little bit more nice sense. But and and then you you kind of um, ask yourself you you which I basically ask some in some projects like, Hey, we're, we're not doctors. Yeah. We don't uh, save lives. We're not in war. Why we sometimes feel like it, right? You know, why right. we sometimes have this attitude of, uh, people put people down, show where we're the lead or supervisor or better or, uh, more experience or the client is so stressful that we have to put, put us apart and stuff like that. And we in self uh, put pressure on ourselves. And I was like wondering and like, no, this is not how it should be. And I, I didn't, I didn't have a term for that. <laughs> so basically, um, that's why I was, maybe this was the impression because now I could, I could like kind of like search for it a little bit uh, yeah, and say yeah. like, oh, this is basically what I want. And, uh, all around that is, uh, you can say company ca culture become my vision in a way. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, it was, it's for me still inspiring and uh, kind of, uh, like a what small dream if I, it sounds corny but come true that I, that we could finally talk and i could ask you all the questions and i'm super happy to to have you here um yeah thank you very much um if you ever write a book about company culture uh, put me on the short list i'll sell at least one all right uh, it's 100 <laughs> if i have to buy like what is a true fan a true fan is someone who buys the ebook version the audio version and the paper version of your book <laughs> so you will at least have three if you have all three so uh yeah definitely so yeah, thank you very much. I hope everyone who was listening and, and watching that now has a better understanding of company culture and saw like how impactful it is and how much like light it can share into basically like one third of your life yeah, in a way. Absolutely. And how important it is not just care about your relationships at all or, or even the relationships at work, but also how the company feels with you. Yeah, you know, not only absolutely. your colleagues, but also how you feel with the company. Anything you would like to add to that? Or to no, this has been great. I, I, it's a topic I'm highly passionate about. So it, it's fun to be able to spend an hour talking to someone else who's excited about it too. Thank you. <laughs> If you want to find more content, go on alexanderrichtertd.com, subscribe to my YouTube channel, podcast, email list, and check out my blog. 
Support me by spreading the word and let people know about this content.